the weekly podcast from the First Church of Christ in East Palestine, Ohio. We're glad you've decided to join us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. Good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. The kids had a good time, I can tell you that. <laughs> Let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, our Father in heaven, we come before you this morning to worship you and sing our praises to you and glorify your name, Lord. Heavenly Father, I ask for your blessing upon each and every one of us here today and ask your blessing upon those who are unable to be with us, Lord, whether they are traveling or they're home ill, Lord, that you would put your comforting hand on them and heal them, Father, and keep them safe. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would be with Bob as he brings a message today and that we would bring somebody closer to know your son, Jesus Christ. And it's his precious name we pray. Amen. Do you ever find it difficult to set aside the time to examine your life, to ask yourself, what sins have I committed recently? Take the time to examine our conscience, the actions of the past weeks or months. 1 Corinthians 11.28 says, A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Each day we should set aside the special time for self-examination and asking forgiveness. In this way we are preparing for the Lord's Day and the Lord's Supper every day, not just in a few minutes before the emblems are being served. We might ask ourselves these questions. How have I employed my thoughts? Has God been in my thoughts? Has he been in many of them? How have I governed my passions? Have they been kept under the dominion of the Holy Spirit? How have I preserved my purity? Have I tried to keep my heart pure and clean? Are the choices that I make in life pleasing to God? After asking ourselves these questions, we should answer them honestly and sincerely from the heart. If we can't answer these questions in a positive way, then perhaps we can now. At this moment, repent and recall, he died for one such as I. One final question. Am I partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine in a worthy manner? Let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, our Father in heaven, we come before you at this time seeking your forgiveness and your amazing grace through accepting your Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior. Heavenly Father, we know that as we accept the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and being baptized for the remission of our sin, we will spend eternity with you. Heavenly Father, we ask for your blessing upon these emblems, the bread and the juice that represent the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for giving us your Son as a sacrifice and expressing your love for us. In Christ's name. Amen. Good morning, folks. Good to see you here this morning. Uh, Please do look over the bulletin. I have a few announcements I'd like to call to your attention that are not in the bulletin, so please take note of this. Uh, There's going to be a short elders and deacons meeting right after the service this morning, right up here in front. Only last a a minute or so, a couple minutes. So elders and deacons, right after the service, please come up front for that meeting. Also, uh, 
want to encourage you to join us on Wednesday night for our Bible study. Please look at the menu. We have soup and salad before and sandwiches before our Bible study. And we'd love to have you join us as we're studying from the book of John on Wednesday nights. I do want to congratulate Rachel and Cameron Gumbel upon the birth of their baby, Macy May Grace Gumbel, seven pounds, seven ounces, 19 inches long. Uh, the proud grandparents are Dave and Jolie Crow and great-grandparents, Dawn and Carrie Snyder. And Macy was born on January 16th, so congratulations, that's great. Uh, please do look over the prayer list in the bulletin. Remember these people in your daily prayers. Do want to call your attention to a few. Please remember Emily and, and Tyler Yerub. They're expecting their first child. Emily's around 20 weeks along, and they discovered the baby has spina bifida, and are, they're going Wednesday to find out about surgery to correct that. So please keep them in your prayers as that is done. Also, as Leslie Ostick is in Mercy Hospital uh, having an MRI tomorrow. Uh, Vicki Fiesel had a stroke, and Vicki is in uh, Mercy Hospital in Belmont. She's doing well. She's able to talk and doing well, so keep her in your prayers as they take care of this. And also, Diana Holzer will be going into the hospital for five days in Cleveland uh, to get her heart rate adjusted. So please keep Diana in your prayers concerning that. Let's take a moment and, and go to God in silent prayer. Amen. Today I'm on my third sermon uh, in the book of Ruth. Uh, we're in chapter 3. I hope you've been reading the chapters ahead of time. We're not going to look at all the verses in chapter 3 this morning, but next week we'll finish up the uh, series in chapter 4, so please make sure to read that ahead of time. Now, let, let, let me give you a review again, just a quick review to bring you up to where we are in chapter 3. Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two boys left Bethlehem because there was a famine in the land. They moved to Moab, which was a pagan land, probably a bad idea. There, not long after they were there, Elimelech, uh, Naomi's husband, dies. And the boys end up marrying two Moabite pagan women, Orpha and Ruth. Anyhow, uh, over a period of time, about 10 years, the boys die. And, and Ruth decides to, uh, Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem. And she's bitter because of what has happened here in this land. And she says to the girls, don't go back with me. You stay here in Moab. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. You go find a man to marry. Go back to your parents. Have children. I have nothing for you. So uh, uh, Orpha kisses her goodbye and goes back just as Naomi says. But Ruth clings on to her mother-in-law. And she says, will you go? I will go. Uh, where you stay, I will stay. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. And then she says to Naomi, may the Lord deal with me ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Till death do us part, she said. So Ruth goes back with Naomi, her mother-in-law, to Bethlehem. Now in chapter 2, we see Ruth going out to glean in the field because they're dirt poor. Now this is not a job. She is not an employee. She is poor. She's following. The harvesters are their employees. She's just following the harvesters. Whatever is left on the ground, whatever they uh, miss, she picks up and gleans. It, it just so happened that she chose this field, and it was Boaz's field. Now we read in chapter 2 that Boaz was a relative of Naomi uh, through Elimelech, and it just so happens that she chose this field. 
Well, really, it didn't just so happen. That's where God wanted her to be. We see God's invisible hand here at work. We're going to talk more about that next week in chapter 4. But anyhow, she's there in that field. Boaz, we learn, is a very godly man. He's not just a guy who goes to the tab- uh, tabernacle to make sacrifices, who just worships God on Sabbath. He is a man of faith, and his employees even know that. He's known as a man who is a man of worth. He is worth something financially, but not only that, he is a man of worth when it comes to character. He has a man of great char- he is a man of great character. Anyhow, Boaz discovers Ruth working in his field. And he says uh, to one of his employees, who is that? They tell him that Ruth is Naomi's uh, daughter-in-law. He goes and talks to her. Uh, He offers to help her in numerous ways. And he kind of has a date with her even. But he is quite a bit older than uh, Ruth. When Ruth, uh, but he gives her extra grain, extra food because of Naomi. And when they end up, when, when Ruth ends up, Going home, she talks to Naomi and her mother-in-law says, where were you? Where did you uh, 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 glean today? And she says, in Boaz's field. And Naomi says, oh yeah, that's our guardian redeemer, or another word is kinsman redeemer. And uh, she says, do whatever he says. Uh, He'll take care of you. So that ends kind of chapter two. And as we begin in chapter three, Ruth has been working in the field for quite a while now. The harvest, however, has ended. Now, I'm sure Naomi and Ruth have saved some food, but even though that's the case, they could run out of food here. So Naomi is very concerned, especially about Ruth. So in Ruth chapter 3, verse 1, we read, One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be provided for. Now, the uh, New King James translate that, my daughter, I must seek security for you. The ESV says, my daughter, I must find rest for you. Now, what's going on here? Well, Naomi is saying to Ruth, we need to get you married off. You can't go on working as a gleaner. This is not making a living. We need to find somebody who can provide for you, somebody who can give you security, somebody who can give you a home. We need to get you hitched. So Naomi comes up with a plan, and that plan is for Ruth to go and ask Boaz to marry her. Now that was very unusual in that day, for a woman to ask a man. So I call this the original Sadie Hawkins Day. Do you remember Sadie Hawkins Day? Uh, If you're older, you probably remember where it came from. If you're younger, you probably just remember the Sadie Hawkins Day dances. But anyhow, uh, Sadie Hawkins Day came about because of a very popular comic strip back in the, that began in 1934 and ran through 1977. Uh, the strip was called uh, Little Abner. So I don't know if any of you have read that in the comics or not. But this was a comic strip written by a guy named El Cap. The strip was set in an imaginary town of Dogpatch, Kentucky. In 1937, he ran a strip about a girl named Sadie Hawkins. Now, Sadie was 35 years old. She was the daughter of Hezekiah, the wealthiest and most powerful man in the town of Dogpatch. According to the strip, she was the homiest gal in all the hills. So here's a picture of her, if you would. (laughs) Now, don't go feeling bad for Sadie. She's a comic strip character, you know? If she's called ugly or, I mean, she's a comic strip character. But Hezekiah decided he needed to get uh, Sadie hitched. Uh, 
Back then, it wasn't common for women to ask men out even on a date, let alone to ask a man to marry you. So Hezekiah calls all the bachelors together in town, and he says, I declare today to be Sadie Hawkins Day. And he ordered a race to be run. And he said, you guys run as fast as you can, and Sadie's going to chase you. And when he, she catches one of you, you must. It's not your choice. If she catches you, you must marry her. Now, in the comic strip, the other women like this. So they said, we ought to have an annual Sadie Hawkins Day when all the single women can chase the single men and catch them, drag them over a certain line, and then they would have to marry them. So they did that every November. So the comic strip became a hit. Sadie Hawkins Day became a hit. And just a few years, I think it was 1940, so three years after the first strip came out, over 400 colleges in the United States had a Sadie Hawkins Day. Now, not when the girls would ask the guys to marry them, but when the girls would ask the guys on a date. So throughout America, there were thousands and thousands of Sadie Hawkins Day dances that gave the girl an opportunity to ask a boy out for a date. So Ruth's situation here is a little bit like Sadie Hawkins Day, in that you have a woman who is going to ask a man to marry her. That was unheard of, basically. Uh, but it's unlike Sadie Hawkins Day because Boaz doesn't have to say yes. He has a choice in the matter. Now, it was extremely uncommon back then for a, a woman to ask a man to marry her for a number of reasons. First of all, most women did not have any type of jobs. Uh, they did not have an income. Uh, they did not own property. A, a woman did not even get an inheritance from her parents unless there were no boys. If there was one or two or three boys, they all got part of the inheritance, but the girl, she got nothing. So if a woman asked a man to marry her, she wasn't offering security or providing a home or anything. All she was doing is say, I want to marry you, and you have to provide for me. So it's very uncommon for that to be done. Of course, many women in that day married not because they were in love, but because there was somebody who could take care and, and provide for them. Now, Ruth is a single woman in need of a husband. So Naomi hatches this plan for Ruth to ask Boaz to marry her. And as I said earlier, I think Boaz and, and Ruth, I, I believe they were attracted to each other. But Boaz is older than Ruth. And, and from what we read, it, it seems that it's his age that is keeping him from moving forward with Ruth, asking her uh, to maybe marry him because he thinks he's too old and it would not maybe be a proper thing to do. So he, he's, I'm not even going to ask. That's his idea. So it's harvest time and Boaz is wintering barley in his threshing floor. He will stay there and he will sleep in the threshing floor for a couple of reasons. One thing is he's going to work all day long. He's going to work into the night. Uh, he has to get this done. But the other thing is, it was very common for people to come in and steal the grain. So he's going to be there protecting what he has. So Naomi says to Ruth, take a bath. Now, yeah, I, they didn't bathe every day back then, and she's out working in the fields. Take a bath. Pretty yourself up. Put on your best perfume. Not the stuff you bought at the dollar store. You know, put on your best perfume. And put on your best clothes. And go to the threshing floor. And when Boaz finishes eating, and he goes and lays down and goes to sleep, you go in and uncover his feet and lay at his feet 
and he will tell you what to do. Now, there are people who read this and they don't understand the culture of that day. And they think that Naomi is suggesting that Ruth ought to go in and seduce Boaz. And that's not what's going on here at all. Uh, when Ruth does this, she is not going to have any type of sexual encounter with Boaz. But he is going to understand why she is there, and he's going to tell her what to do because he is her kinsman redeemer or guardian redeemer. Remember, we talked about that just briefly last week, mentioned that. Now, the NIV uses the term guardian redeemer. Most translations use the term kinsman redeemer. Kinsman redeemer gives you the idea that the redeemer is a blood relative, and he has to be. Guardian redeemer gives you the idea that it's somebody who's going to guard and protect and provide. Both are good ideas. But let me kind of give you a definition of a kinsman redeemer or a guardian redeemer. The guardian redeemer was a blood relative, had to be a blood relative, who was able to buy back for you that which you tragically lost. Let me say that again. A blood relative who was able to buy back for you that which you tragically lost. He could buy back land for you. Suppose you were forced to sell land because of some situation. You got yourself in debt, something, and you had to sell land. You could go to your kinsman redeemer and ask that kinsman redeemer to buy the land back for you. Now, he didn't have to, but he could. And if he decided to buy the land back, when he went to the fellow who bought your land, that fellow was, he had to, by law, sell back the land to the kinsman redeemer. So he could get back your land for you. He could get back your freedom for you. It wasn't unusual for uh, Israel's, Israelites who got into debt to sell themselves into slavery, maybe for a year to pay off the debt, maybe for five years, maybe for 10 years. Again, a kinsman redeemer could come and pay the amount of money necessary to get you out of, debt, uh, out of slavery, to get your freedom. He could get them justice. Um, if the person could not get justice for themselves, for instance, if someone was murdered, he could go out and get justice for that relative. He could also give a person a family. He could marry a widow. The law stated that if a brother died and he was married and he had no sons, the oldest brother was the kinsman redeemer. And the oldest brother was required by law to marry the widow and have a children by that widow and therefore carry on the brother's name. That was a requirement. However, Boaz is a guardian redeemer, but he is not the brother of Ruth's husband. So although he is able uh, to do what a kinsman redeemer does, he is not required by law to do that. It is going to be his choice. Now, he can only do this if he is the closest relative. If he is not the closest relative, the closest relative has the choice of marrying Ruth and then also buying the property. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little more next week. We're going to see that kind of play out in chapter 4. Anyhow, let's go on and, and read. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and laid down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. 
Now Boaz is asleep. Something awakens him, and, uh, uh, and he notices this woman lying at his feet. Now, she, she wasn't there when he went to bed. He, he knows that. And he says, who are you? Now, he knows Ruth. He, he has eaten dinner with her. He sat across from her. He has talked to her face to face. Why is he saying, who are you? Because she wasn't there when he went to bed. He's just waking up. He doesn't expect anyone to be at his foot. He's probably, you know, a little uh, blurry-eyed. So he's not sure who she is. Who are you? And she tells him who she is. And she tells him why she is there. Two things she does helps Boaz understand right away what she wants. The first thing she does is she uncovers his feet and she lays at his feet. Now, why uncover his feet? Well, you have to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5 to kind of understand this. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, we see that if a, a, a woman whose husband has died asks a kinsman redeemer to marry her, and the kinsman redeemer refuses, she can take him to the elders. And in front of the elders, she removes his sandal, indicating he's not stepping up. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. He, she removes a sandal, spits in his face because he has refused to marry her, and then the elders talk to him and uh, uh, try to get him to fulfill his responsibility. And if he does not refill, fulfill his responsibility, the elders would then tell the community that his family is the family of the unsandaled and, and give him a bad name. So, of course, uh, Boaz is aware of this custom, So when Ruth goes in and uncovers his feet, she is proposing. It is a marriage proposal. But she's saying to him, because he's not really required to marry her, she's doing this in private. And she's saying, basically, Boaz, if you refuse my marriage proposal, nobody else is going to know about it. This isn't going to be a public thing where your family's embarrassed. And he appreciates that. We're going to see that later with his words. But then she says something else to him. She says, spread the corner of your garment over me. Other translations say, spread your wings over me. Others uh, say, spread your skirt over me. Now, when we read that, you know, it kind of confuses us. But this was a cultural way back then of saying, will you marry me? In fact, these are the exact words that God uses in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8. If you want to look that up, Ezekiel 16, verse 8 when he talks about Israel being married to him, symbolically being married to him. So what Ruth is doing here, there's nothing inappropriate going on here at all. If, if anybody suggests that, it's just wrong. Ruth and Boaz are both people of great character and faith. Nothing questionable going on. Nothing inappropriate going on. But the move that Ruth makes is a very bold move. Boaz knew exactly what Ruth was asking. He was very happy about it. Notice what he says. The Lord bless you, my daughter. Then he replied, the kindness is greater than that which you showed me earlier. The kindness. Doing this privately, not asking in public, not making a big deal about it if he turns her down. The kindness of you even asking me in my age. He says, you have not run after younger men, rich or poor. And now, my daughter, uh, don't be afraid. 
I will do for you all you ask. All the people of the town will know that you are a woman of noble character. Uh, So let me paraphrase for you what uh, Boaz says when Ruth proposes. He says, you bet, you bet I'll marry you. He says, you could have chosen a younger man, maybe a man that did not have a lot of money, but you know, uh, every time you saw him, your heart went pitter-patter, and and you were attracted to him. You could have chosen a younger, maybe poorer man, or you could have chosen a, a younger, maybe wealthier man, but you didn't. You chose me. Now, Jewish tradition tells us that Boaz was 80 years old and that Ruth was 40 years old. But we don't know if that's true. That's just tradition. We know that Ruth is childbearing age and that Boaz is quite a bit older than her, old enough that he did not ask her to marry him. You see, I think as you read it, now this is just my opinion, but I think as you read it, it's pretty obvious that Boaz has feelings for Ruth. And he would probably like to ask Ruth to marry him. But he thinks because of the age difference that that might not be the right thing to do. So even though he would like to, he doesn't. But when Ruth asks him to marry her, he says, yes, 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 a million times, yes. He's ready for this marriage. However, there's a problem. There's a guardian redeemer who is a closer relative to Ruth than Boaz. If he wishes... He has the right to marry her first and to also purchase the property of Elimelech. And that's what chapter 4 is about. We're going to talk about that next week. Now, in the meantime here, Boaz gets Ruth uh, some extra food to take home to Naomi. The Bible says he gives her six measures of barley, puts it on her back so she can carry it home. I guess because he didn't know this was going to happen, he didn't have any chocolate in the house. That's what I'm guessing. Now, this is a very interesting and it's a very intriguing story. But I want you to understand, it's not just a love story between Ruth and and Naomi and and Ruth and Boaz. It's not just a story to tell us uh, uh, the amazing character of Ruth and and Boaz and, and their faith in God. The story is there to point us to Jesus. Boab is a type who is foreshadowing Jesus, who is our kinsman redeemer. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14 says, it is in him, Jesus, we have redemption. So the book of Ruth points to our kinsman redeemer who is coming. Our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, chooses to be our kinsman redeemer. Now, Boaz did not have a choice. He was related to Ruth. You don't get to choose your relatives, do you? But Jesus got to choose, had, chose to be our kinsman redeemer. One who can take care of us and protect us when we're in trouble. One who can redeem us from our sins through his blood. And one who prepares an eternal home for us. And takes us to be his bride. You see, that's how the Bible describes the church. The bride of Christ. But here's the thing, if we want Jesus to be our redeemer, we have to do what Ruth did. We have to ask. But Jesus Jesus makes it a lot easier for us to ask him to be our redeemer than it was for Ruth to ask Boaz. Jesus tells us ahead of time, if we ask him to redeem us, the answer is going to be yes. 
Uh, Ruth was on her own trying to figure out the best way to ask. Naomi gave her some advice, but she was, had to figure out how to ask him to do this. Jesus tells us how to ask him to be our redeemer. He says we need to have faith in him that leads us to confess him as the son of God. We need to turn from our sins and strive to live as he would have us to. That's called repentance. And then we are baptized into him. And it's at that point that he throws the corner of his garment over us. Listen, Galatians 3.27 says, when we are baptized into Christ, we are clothed with him. It's at that point that we become family. At that point, we become part of the church, which is the bride of Christ. So Ruth is a very intriguing uh, love story, a very interesting love story. Love between Ruth and Naomi and, and Ruth and, and Boaz, but it's more than that. It's a love story between us and God. Next week, we're going to see even greater detail how this story of Ruth points us to Jesus. If you're here this morning, you're a Christian, isn't it wonderful that you've been redeemed? Redeemed. When you cannot redeem yourself, there's one who redeemed you. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, you need to make that decision to become a Christian, that one day you might spend eternity in a home prepared for you in heaven by Jesus himself. We want to encourage you to do that, to ask him to be your redeemer through faith, confession, repenting of your sins, and be baptized into Christ. Now, we're going to sing an invitation hymn. If you're ready to be baptized this morning, if you come forward, we can take your confession and baptize you right now. But if it's something you want to think about, talk to me. Maybe when you leave or give me a call this week, and let's make sure you make that decision. It's so important. Let's be standing as we sing together. Thanks for listening. If you would like to join us in person, we meet on Sundays at 8.45 and 11 a.m. and on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Have a great week.